You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcast from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at NolaJake on Twitter, here with you all on this Tuesday. Yeah, we're back to five days a week here at LockedOnPelicans. We've got a lot to cover as we gear up for the return of the NBA. It's going to be here before we know it. I can't wait. I know you can't wait, and that's why we're getting caught up on everything. So we are going to continue our player in review series, catching up on Lonzo Ball in this episode. That'll be the third segment. We're also going to catch up with the Suns, another team fighting for the eighth spot. You've got a number of teams in the bubble, all of these 22 teams in the bubble, then you have a number of teams on the bubble for the eighth spot in the Western Conference. So bubble, bubble teams, and the Suns are one of them. That was a terrible joke. Finally, we've got just kind of news we'll catch up on in the opening segment here. The broadcast schedule is out. Are they going to televise the scrimmages and some other bubble stuff, including people trying to pop it? So let's dive into it all in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. So before we start the show, don't forget, subscribe to Locked On Pelicans wherever you get your podcast from. The only Pels podcast coming to you right now, Monday through Friday, breaking down everything you want to know, getting guests from around the league to kind of tell you a little bit more about what's going on. We've also had really good guests this offseason. If you've missed any of them, Will Guillory of The Athletic, Andrew Lopez of ESPN, Jim Eichenhofer of Pelicans.com. We can go on and on and on with a number of these guys. Um, and also, ladies, we have Carolyn Gonzalez of The Pelicans as well on here. Uh, and they've been giving a lot of really great insights. So catch up on all of this as we gear up for the NBA's restart. Locked on Pelicans, wherever you get your podcast from. So lots of bubble news. The biggest one, well, there's two big ones. One's related to the Pels, one less so. So first and foremost, the Pelicans have announced their return to play broadcast schedule. Basically, all eight seeding games, which is what they're calling all of this stuff, is going to be televised. So every single game that they play over these eight are going to be televised. You're also going to get a Pelicans Live pregame show uh, with... Uh, Jen Hale. So you're going to have Joel Myers, Antonio Daniels, and sideline reporter Jen Hale calling the games remotely. It sounds like they're going to be working out of the Smoothie King Center. Maybe just to kind of keep them in the same atmosphere of things. I don't really know. This is kind of interesting. I'm kind of excited to see how this is going to work. But frankly, you're going to get the same quality broadcast that you always get. We love Joel Myers. We love Antonio Daniels. We love Jen Hale. And that is going to be Awesome. The pregame, halftime show, and postgame shows will also be in the Smoothie King Center. That's going to be with Jen Hale and former uh, color commentator David Wesley on all of this. So instead of having to suffer through some of the league groups, the league broadcast duos that we just don't really like, like players only. Oh my God, remember that? I'm so glad they got rid of that this season. You don't need to worry about it. You're going to have the familiar crew that knows your team that's going to give you the insight you want from them, kind of like Locked On Pelicans is designed to be. So that's the big news coming from the broadcast side of things. It does sound like in some capacity you will be able to watch the scrimmages. I don't know if those are going to be full on simulated games, if they're just going to be more scrimmages, or if it's going to kind of be like the open practice, the Pelicans do, but that will be available likely in some capacity. We just don't have details on that just yet. 
Other bubble stuff is big name player testing positive for COVID-19. That's Russell Westbrook. He is not there in Orlando just yet. Um, is kind of going through a period of waiting and then we'll get down there. That doesn't sound like the Rockets are all that worried about it. But good that they caught it before he entered the bubble. The other news is the NBA put out a press release saying of all the guys they've tested, 300 plus players, two have tested positive while in Orlando. Now, they don't know, and here's the thing you've got to be careful about when looking at this. It does not sound like they necessarily caught COVID-19 while in the bubble, while in Orlando. This could easily be a guy who passed the final COVID test before getting on the plane and going to Orlando, but it just didn't show up just yet. That is a possibility. It's a thing that can happen. And so they might have had it. It hadn't kind of manifested itself into symptoms or even just kind of been in their body fully yet. And they tested positive when they were in Orlando. Because of the NBA's protocol, those guys haven't left their hotel room. They have not compromised the bubble in any capacity whatsoever. That they caught the test. They told those guys to stay in their rooms. And that's that. Overall, this is working exactly like what the NBA wanted it to do. Do tests in the bubble, not kind of indicative of anything whatsoever. So, so far, things are going well. Now, it's been like a week, so that's not necessarily saying a whole lot. But this is all still kind of what the NBA expected. Only two positive tests there is very good. Now, if you start to see some positive tests come through later, it's a bit of a concern if they don't do a good job of quarantining and kind of contact tracing all the things, you know, the government should have been doing here um, in these resorts and in the bubble. And that's where things might fall apart, but we're not there just yet. So overall, things seem to be okay so far for the NBA. So bubble seems to be a go so far. So that is the biggest things you need to know about going on with the NBA's bubble to return to play and the Pelicans in the broadcast schedule. Coming up, we will touch on the Phoenix Suns as we dive into what their return to play is going to look like. I've basically forgotten everything about this Phoenix team, so it was good to get a refresher on that figure. It can be useful for you as well. This is going to be a recurring series over the next week or so that we're going to do here on Locked on Pelican. So again, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, Locked on Pels, wherever you get your podcast from. Still here Monday through Friday now for you all as we gear up for the NBA's return to play. Joining me now on Locked On Pelicans, we're continuing kind of the crossovers that we've got going on here with all of the bubble teams and potential playoff teams in the NBA's restart. I've got Evan Sidery here with me, host of the Locked On Suns podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at E-S-I-D-E-R-Y. Evan, thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for doing this. No, this is great. You know, so it's been a while since we've seen actual basketball. And I know we're all really excited to see it again, but I've forgotten a lot. I've, I've seen a couple rosters where I completely forgot like a certain player was on that team. And I'm sure that's how we all feel about the Nets right now. Um, but so when the NBA kind of hit that suspension point, how had the Suns season been going um, leading up to everything? Yeah, unfortunately for the Suns, they were just getting back into the groove as far as everyone being healthy. They had Ricky Rubio, Aaron Baines, who were struggling for injuries, getting back and really being productive. Baines had a game where I never thought he'd make eight threes in a game, but that actually happened before. He ended up scoring 37 points against the Blazers. Dario Sharps is doing pretty well for himself as well. Mikhail Bridges, too, is finally starting to break out there. I know Kelly Oubre went down with his meniscus injury at that point, but McHill stepped in, did very well for himself, and kind of was showing he was going to take the leap forward in his second year before the, the season went on pause there. So a lot of good things for the Suns, and unfortunately a bad timing where it might actually benefit them because now they're 
fully healthy and rested. And this team was battling through injuries all year long and trying to get some good chemistry going. And this might be the perfect time to do that in Orlando. Yeah, I think you're seeing like a lot of teams kind of looking at this and it's like, oh, the roster is going to be healthy again, which is a great thing. Um, Do you have any concerns about kind of the quality of basketball we're going to see after this like extended layoff and you guys maybe coming back after missing a couple of games and trying to kind of get back into the flow of things? Yeah, a little bit. I'm worried there could be some really ugly basketball at some points, but with a player like Devin Booker on this team, if it gets ugly at some time, we already seen before that he's going to take a game over and just take a lot of shots. And Booker is very good at doing that as far as being very efficient on a high volume. And if it does get ugly in some games, I imagine Booker will just take the ball and, hey, everyone get out of my way. I'm going to go and score 30, 40 points and help us try to win this game. But I, I am a little bit worried about that, but I feel like with this team, especially with how young they are, I think it's not going to be as much of a worry because you have Booker and Aiton and Mikhail Bridges as your sort of young core there, and they're all very rested and ready to go. Having a guy, having a guy like Devin Booker in a situation like this, I think is a huge, huge advantage. You've got Monty Williams there as the former coach of New Orleans. How's his fit been in with this team? When we were recording Locked On Suns, we had talked about it. You know, he wasn't the most player friendly coach, the most, not the most willing to adapt here in New Orleans. But it sounds like that's been a little bit different this go round. Yeah, he's definitely been a lot more player friendly. I know we mentioned the doghouse before on the last show too, with maybe Chuck Dialton. <laughs> yeah. It seems like for me, what he's very more open to hearing the players out with Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, Aaron Baines, the leaders in the locker room. When they voice their opinion, Monty listens and even adapts on the fly if he wants to. I know Ricky Rubio has mentioned before in the locker room that he really actually talks to Monty during the games, asking him for his opinion. And if Monty does the same with Rubio. If he says, hey, Ricky, what do you see on the court there? I'm like, Ricky says, I want to go do this and that. And Monty's like, okay, go ahead. I'll get out of the way and let you do your thing and not call any plays. And that's just kind of how open and, and the change that Monty's done has really been open and apparent because like you mentioned to me before, Jake, that he was not really much a player's coach in New Orleans, but that's definitely been a, a complete 180 in Phoenix where he's definitely listened to the players there. And even his schemes have definitely changed. Look, for a guy who's probably the nicest guy in the NBA, you know, and at the time maybe wasn't the most liked in New Orleans, but it's kind of one of those things now with hindsight, you kind of really appreciate a coach like that. It's really nice to hear the success that he's having and that he's maybe kind of found the right fit, the right culture there in Phoenix with everyone. So as we hit this restart, what's kind of your outlook for the Suns over these final eight games and then for them hopefully getting into the playoffs? What are maybe the strengths and the weaknesses going into Orlando? for this team yeah unfortunately with the Suns with how they're placed in this Western Conference sort of hierarchy right now they have to really win all eight games to even make the play-in tournament and I'm I'm very hesitant to even say that's even kind of come close to happen just because with the schedule they have it's very tough and then a mid part of it but for them I think the strengths of their roster is their youth they might be able to be an advantage here with Booker with DeAndre and being healthy as well they could be able to ride them and try to see if they can maybe go a little further. Booker, as we talked about before, can go off for 30, 40 points any night. We saw against New Orleans this year down in the Bayou where he went for 44 points against them and really seemed like he was taking over that game and helped them win in that outing. But I really believe that the strengths of this roster like that are just the overall balance on offense because they have Rubio, they have Mikhail Burgess. Who knows if Kelly is going to play right now because he's questionable with his injury. But I believe with Booker, Aiton, Rubio, you have Mikhail Bridges as well. They have a very balanced offensive attack there where if Booker gets a little cold, they can go to eight. And if eight gets a little cold, they can go back to Booker, then go to Rubio, who has a career high in three or four percentages so far this year. I really think that this roster has a chance to maybe maybe be scrappy and a little pesky to some of these teams trying to get in the playoff scene because I don't know if they're going to make it themselves, but I think there's a really good chance they're going to be one of those teams that kind of mucks it up, so to say. 
Yeah, you know, that's kind of like a fun role to play, right? At least you're kind of rooting to, like, spoil other teams' chances. And it's kind of, uh, with a guy like Booker, no one wants to play that team in this kind of weird pressure situation, right? As you were saying, it kind of favors him if things are going to be just a little bit weird, if it's going to be some bad basketball. Having a guy that can completely take over is a very good thing to have. Yeah, absolutely. This so far this year in Monty's system, he saw his true shooting percentage jump way up. He's getting a lot more better shots thanks to having a really good point guard on board for the first time in three or four years with Ricky Rubio. So him being able to really take over this game, getting wide open looks and having really one of the better mid-range shots in this game. I know mid-range is sort of fading away nowadays in 2020. You want to be get layups and threes, but Booker's shot is over 50% from the mid-range, and it's almost like a, a good three-pointer, so might as well just take him while you can. And him averaging 26 points per game so far this year on very good efficiency kind of shows the kind of leap he's taking. And I think at some point in his career, he's going to be a, a probably a, a – 30-plus point-per-game score. A player is going to be leading this team into the playoffs eventually, but it might not be this year. But I think there's going to be one or two games, maybe more than that, in this Orlando bubble where he just takes over and says, hey, guys, get out of my way. I'm going to go and win this game for us. Yeah, look, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. This is a team I haven't really paid that much attention to all season long. But, you know, when you kind of come down to star power in the bubble, this is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm excited to kind of see them out there. I'm excited, I think, just to see any basketball. Uh, So, Evan, thank you for taking the time with me today to kind of cover the Suns. And uh, I think we're both looking forward to basketball coming back. Yeah, thanks again for doing this, Jake. I'm really looking forward to watching Pelicans, too. I know I've been loving watching Zion so far since he's been back. I'm very happy for you guys in New Orleans to get to have a talent like that on board. It's 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 a nice change of pace after everything with, with, with Anthony Davis. Quickly, though, what are your thoughts been on Zion this season so far in the 19 games that he's played? Oh, it's been amazing. The first game, he I know he made that um, that three-pointer in his first game. He unfortunately had to get to sit out a little bit because of the man's restriction at that time. But as we slowly have been watching him, progressed so far this year he's been looking like a monster what I thought he was at Duke and transitioning over into right to the NBA and being a 24 point per game score get at the free throw line so many times as a rookie it's just crazy to say he looks like he's already in the prime of his career as a rookie at some points which is very scary for those in the Western Conference that they deal with Zion Williamson for the next seven eight plus years in New Orleans because this team I think is going to be right in contention very soon for being a legitimate 50 plus win team with Zion on board you have Brandon Ingram too Lonzo Ball Drew Holiday I love watching this team Jake they're so fun to watch I think they're going to be one of those teams up in this Orlando bubble that could really feast yeah look we're we're hopeful for that too it's good it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm just happy we get eight more meaningful games which is not really used to what we're seeing here in New Orleans with everything so again Evan thank you for taking the time with me and everyone make sure to check them out over at the Locked on Suns podcast part of the Locked on Podcast Network thanks Jake so again big thanks to Evan for joining me to talk about the Suns a lot of kind of connections there I think with some things with the Pals particularly with Monty Williams which is nice to see him succeeding after everything he's been through and legitimately one of the great guys in the NBA so coming up we are going to break down Lonzo Ball how his season went so far where things were when he left off and what he can do in the bubble before we do that though again subscribe to Locked On Pels wherever you get your podcast from but tell a friend to get him tuned on to the podcast and then leave a five star review with a comment helps keep this free and five days a week for you all the only podcast coming to you with this sort of regularity breaking down everything you want to know about your pelicans as we gear up for the nba restart so locked on pels wherever you get your podcast from all right let's do a bit of a catch-up pelicans catch-up here with lonzo ball and get us caught up and back up to speed on how his season went. So this is one of the guys that came over from the Los Angeles Lakers in the Anthony Davis trade. Had a lot of hype. Former second round pick, or second round pick, second overall pick going into the draft that had 
some talent, like you know what his skills were, the passing, the vision, the speed, all of that, but was missing a lot to his game. Enough to get him drafted number two overall. The passing at UCLA was outstanding, and the shooting was good enough there. The shooting didn't translate to the NBA, uh, and that has caused a big, big problem for him. But maybe a new change of scenery and playing in a fast-paced system that emphasizes his skills, his talents, his best features, and minimizes the weaknesses that he has could make him a significantly better player. And you know what? It wasn't entirely wrong. He did get off to a bit of a rough start in New Orleans. A lot of this seems to be him just getting comfortable. He did not have the trust of Alvin Gentry either right off the bat. Those two clashed a little bit to start the year. But as he started to get a little bit healthier and get his legs under him after a streak of not playing for a little bit early on in the year, you could see things starting to turn and click just a little bit for him. And that's when he really started to thrive. Around the mid-December, when the whole team kind of got healthy and things really started to get put together, they built that chemistry they wanted to have. You had all your key guys back and playing. He played exceptionally well. And it goes back even to the 29th of December, a 15-point win over Houston at home, where he played 40 minutes and put up a triple-double. 27 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds. He also went 7 of 12 from 3 in that one. And then he put on a run of four straight games with 20-plus points. The scoring he can do, it's not exactly his strong suit, I'd say, but he's shown flashes that he can really give it to you if you need it from him. And it's also been with the development of that three-point shot. This is a guy who, for his career, has not been a good three-point shooter. Um, and that's kind of being a little bit kind to him on all of this. For his career going into this season, he was a 43% shooter. It's less so if you pick the two seasons in L.A. It was 50, it was uh, 31.5%. It's not good. He's shooting 38% from three this year, 38.3% on six and a half attempts per game. If you leave him open, at this point, he will make you pay. And teams leave him open, and that's why he's got a lot of games with seven made threes in them. Because he's capable of it, he's a good, not a good shooter, but a good enough shooter that if you leave him open, he can burn you. And that can be a reason that teams lose to New Orleans. You saw this particularly well in two of the final four games that New Orleans played, both losses to Minnesota and then Dallas. But he went 7 of 10 in one game and 7 of 11 in the other one, putting up 26 and 25 points. So if you leave him open and his shot's going, he's going to really help this team, I think. And you've seen it. The passing in transitions great. He is a strong rebounder for his position and size and can get the board and go and get out and run in transition. Took him a little bit to be playing at this level in New Orleans. But once he did, you can really see how you feel good about him. He's not an elite defender, but he's an above average defender, arguably a good defender. So pairing him in the backcourt with Drew Holiday really does seem to work. Now, his limitations are in the half court. You guys have heard me talk about this a lot. This could be very apparent in the bubble too. If New Orleans can't play with that same fast pace that we're used to seeing from them because everyone's a little bit out of shape or what have you, and it's a big if, I think we may still see good basketball yet in this and maybe right off of the bat. But if New Orleans has to get things slowed down and they will slow down in the playoffs too, you can't play the same pace and same exact style that New Orleans plays in the regular season as you into the playoffs. He's going to hurt the team. If you look at his drives per game, this is something we've harped on. Last year, Etwan Moore drove more than Lonzo Ball did when Lonzo Ball with the Lakers. This year, he's ahead of Etwan Moore. He averages 5.9, so it's round up, call it six drives per game. It's third most on the team. 
It's still not particularly great. One, he struggles to finish around the rim. On his drives, he only shoots 35% from the field. It's not good. Drew Holiday, by comparison, guarding backcourt with him, right? 15.3 drives per game. That's most on the team. Brandon Ingram, 12.9. Then it's Lonzo Ball. Nikhil Alexander-Walker in far fewer minutes than uh, Lonzo Ball in about you know 20 less minutes averages 4.6 drives per game. So essentially one, you know. Um, Josh Gray in the 11 minutes, 0.4 minutes he's played in his, his average in two games, five drives per game. It's a lot. You know, when you really start to kind of look at it, well, that's better than what Lonzo Ball was doing last year. It's not good. And if you look at it in comparison to other starting point guards around the league, and I'm just literally pulling up NBA.com stats, looking at the drive numbers here, and you can kind of scroll down. Derek Rose, 17.6 drives per game. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, 18.8 drives per game. Luka Doncic, 19.4 drives per game. All of these guys averaging more. Ricky Rubio, 12.6. Jeff Teague of the Atlanta Hawks, 11, uh, 11.7. Ish Smith, averaging 10.1 per game. Remember him with the uh, Washington Wizards. So it puts that in comparison that in the half court, he's a spot-up shooter. He keeps the ball moving when it gets to him. It doesn't just stick to his hands and he launches a shot. But... There's limits to what he can do. Hell, Markel Fultz, 12 drives per game seeing that. That kind of makes me sad. Um, so when you look at it like that, yeah, it's not great. And that's where there's definitely a concern about him. This will impact his free agency. On another team, this isn't going to work, and he's not going to be a good player. New Orleans, he is because of the style of ball that they play. But I worry about that in the playoffs here if New Orleans gets in. That's a good way to lose games that maybe you have a chance of winning. So if they want to really succeed, this is something that needs to change for his career, I think. And if he wants to come out and show that aggressiveness that we haven't seen from him, and it's tied to the free throw shooting. I've said this the second they traded for him, you know, that he shoots under 50% from the line at times. He doesn't want to drive. He's scared of going to the line, uh, of driving to the rim, getting fouled, not finishing and having to go shoot two free throws because he sucks at it. If he can figure all of that out, like he did the three-point shooting, this guy's going to be so freaking good, but he's got to figure it out. Show me in these eight games. Be unbelievably aggressive and play that style of ball. Break down a defense with penetration. And I think we're going to be feeling even better about him going into next year. He's already good now. Don't get me wrong. But there are severe limitations to his game. If you can kind of show us more drives per game, more aggression... And if you happen to make those free throws, we're going to feel really good. But even if you miss those, you're getting to the line by getting fouled with that aggression, which means that anytime anyone breathes so much on Zion, he's going to go to the line. Same for Brandon Ingram, all of those guys. And it's just easy points for New Orleans in the half court at that point. So him driving is really important. So I'm excited about seeing what he can do. If he can do it, I'm going to feel really, really good. So I, and about New Orleans chances, he's going to be a pain in the ass um, for the Lakers then if that's the case. So I'm excited about it. Hopefully he will show that off here in the playoffs. He's got a real opportunity to kind of make a statement. 
All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Pelicans. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Leave a five-star review with a comment and tell a friend. Big thanks to Evan of Locked On Suns for joining me. Again, follow him on Twitter. It's at E-S-I-D-R-Y um, to get all the news coming on from there with Devin Booker. They're going to be a fun team. And as always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Now tell your smart device to play podcast Hollinger and Duncan with former front office office executive John Hollinger, also creator of the PER stat, which is pretty cool too, exclusively part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. We'll be back with you all tomorrow.